Hi there, healers. My name is Dave of Dave of the Flames. I'm a Reiki teacher, life coach, and a claircognizant. I blend these energies so that I can help you be the healer that you are meant to be. You work hard at taking care of others. Heal the Healers is a podcast that will help you find ways to take care of yourself. Do you often find yourself tired, low on energy, and overcommitted because you can't say no? I want to give you the tools to make you stronger so that you can work smarter and help more people around the world. No matter what healing modality you do, this podcast is for you. And hello, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us for episode five of Heal the Healers podcast. Today, I'd like to say thank you and welcome to a very special guest, uh, Adrian Gostick. Uh, Adrian uh, is, is a lifelong entrepreneur and leader uh, and influencer. And he has written a book called Leading for Gratitude, uh, Eight Leadership Practices for Extraordinary Business Results. And when I read this book, things that really impressed me about this was his, his ability to be a storyteller. Um, I think storytelling is one of those powerful things in, on, in the world for, for sharing vision and history and, and just sharing successes as well as failures. Um, and in his book, he talks about you know, how a lack of gratitude can hurt your business, how it helps a business, and just personal stories um, of, of success and failures and highlighting both to help educate uh, the reader. And um, Adrian, thank you so much for being with me today. Well, I'm delighted, Dave. Thanks for uh, your interest in our work. I appreciate it. Yeah, it, 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 it's extraordinary. Um, it's definitely something that I've been working with with my clients for years. Um, and especially in the corporate world, I know there's a lot of times where I was, you know, picked on by my supervisors, um, you know, and told you need to stop caring so much. Uh, you, you know, and, and I, <laughs> it, 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 it never went well when I was told that because I've had the great ability to always manage up as well as manage down. So then it came to where not only am I taking care of my team, but I'm also teaching my boss how to have a heart. Um, and that's all that I was very successful 75% of the time. That 25% of the time it bit me in the ass, but. <laughs> but how, how right. you got a yeah. quarter of people who aren't going to change no matter what. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's all about the dollar. It's all about let's burn through. You know, what if they quit? We hire more, you know, and my always, my thing has always been retention. You know, first you hire well then you train well, then you let them know that you appreciate them and create a, an environment where you support them. And then they stay for years. That to me is the secret to success in any business. And, and a lot of times it's like, no, let's just burn through them. You know, we're, we're going to have a crappy retention rate. Um, what, what led you to, to write this book? You know, it is interesting because you're a coach yourself, Dave, and, and my co-author Chester Elton and I, we, uh, we're executive coaches too. We're part of Marshall Goldsmith's uh, 100 Coaches Consortium. Um, so Marshall, if you know Marshall, he's executive coach to, to sort of the, the big superstars. He wrote the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And, and Marshall has um, you know, a litany of pretty amazing people that he has coached over the years from you know, the CEO of the World Bank, CEO of Pfizer, et cetera. And as we were working with Marshall, we were sitting down with him one day and he said, you know, isn't it interesting that with just what you said, all the coaches that we, all the coaching we have done over the years, all the executives we've worked with, isn't it interesting that gratitude seems to be one of those things that so many, you know, good managers, good leaders miss. And why is that? And we started talking about the psychology behind it. 
you know, there is a lot of psychology of, of why leaders just sort of miss this. In many cases, they just think they're just too busy. In other cases, they just don't think it's important to their people, et cetera. So we started identifying that. Marshall ended up writing the forward for the book. And, and for the next couple of years, we began this process of, of interviewing some of the world's greatest leaders that we felt. Alan Mulally, who'd saved Ford Motor Company from 2006 to, uh, to 2014. Uh, Hubert Jolie, who's the CEO of Best Buy. Ken Chenault, the CEO of American Express for 16 years. For many of those years, the only African-American on the entire Fortune 500 CEO list. So really remarkable leaders that we started interviewing, men and women who really had discovered the importance of gratitude in their lives. And so, yeah, you're, you know, it's a great question. Why don't we do this? You know, there's a myriad of reasons that we discovered in our, in our research. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, I, I think one of the, the neatest things that, that you did is the people who were vulnerable enough to talk about their failures. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a hard thing in the corporate, corporate world because if you're seen um, as, as weak, as a solopreneur, as an entrepreneur, and you're trying to lead people, um, sometimes people take vulnerability as weakness. And, and that's always something as, as we're coaching them, it's like, no, vulnerability is one of your biggest strengths because it shows that you care and that you're real and it shows the humanity within you. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy when you were doing your interviews um, and you're working with, with um, these high level executives, um, did it ever, did you ever like change someone's mind or were you able to, as you coach them and, and you got them to see like an epiphany or an aha moment? You know, it's interesting you said that. We, um, um, Jim Kim, who is the, uh, he was the president of Dartmouth University. He was the uh, uh, president of the World Bank. As, as we uh, were working with Dr. Kim, um, and we were preparing to interview him for the book, and we started kind of sharing some ideas, he sort of stopped us, and he's, he said, guys, he says, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be interviewed for this book. He says, I don't think I have been leading with gratitude. I need to go back, and it was great introspection, where he said, I have to go back and re-examine the way I lead. And it did, it, it, it created in him this cathartic moment where he said, perhaps I have been a little too driven, a little too focused in on, on perhaps even myself versus others. And we found that, we interviewed um, the CEO of the Nature Conservancy. And he sort of said the same thing to us, where he said this had to be a, a uh, moment of rebirth for him. He says, where I realize, he says, as he came in to uh, Mark Tursik, as he says, I came in to the Nature Conservancy. He'd come from McKinsey, where he'd been a senior partner. You know, it's a hard driving environment. He says, I came into the Nature Conservancy, which you can imagine is a lot different. And he says, I was that same hard charging person. And people had to stop me and say, you can't lead a nonprofit in the same way you led in this cutthroat world of high finance. He said, you have to be very appreciative to people. And as we were interviewing him, he was going through this metamorphosis where he was trying to be more human, more interested in others, because that's part of what gratitude is. It's not just about, hey, Dave, nice work, great job. No, it's about seeing the value that you're creating really having eyes to see, being more empathetic, which is, of course, you know, the emphasis of your work, Dave, and really healing others through your gratitude versus just, uh, you know, charging ahead and not seeing the value that's around you. Now, a lot of the people that, that I work with and, and a lot of the, the types of listeners who listen to this podcast, they are, 
they are very empathetic and they, they want to help heal the world. They want to help ha live a life of service. One thing I've noticed is that they don't value themselves because they will give away a lot of their work for free. Uh, and they're like, I, I can't charge for this because I'm helping humanity. I, I want to start a nonprofit. I don't want to be for profit. They, they feel like there's some guilt if they charge, but there's also that, that um, I lack value in myself. So I'm not going to ask or I'm afraid to ask. So being grateful for your gifts, being grateful for what you do, not only because um, I always say you have to be grateful for yourself as well as be grateful for others. And, and, and that's one of the biggest things. Right. Yeah, that's where it really begins. And it's not an ego, egotism. And I know you know this. Mm -hmm. It really is valuing the value that you bring to the world. And being willing to charge for that is important. I mean, there are times, of course, all of us give things away. Right. You know, we're chatting today. You're not sending me a check. Are you? Right. <laughs> it's in the mail. <laughs> yeah, no, we're just chatting because I think this is the right thing to do is to help talk about these ideas and mm -hmm. spread it out. There are good things that I think we all do just to help others. And yet there are times too where we know that we have to make a living. We have to, to charge for that which we do. And there's nothing wrong with saying that I bring value. And this is again what the first part of gratitude is to being able to see to open our eyes up, not only to see the value that others create, but to see the value that we bring and not being afraid to, to actually charge for that, to believe that there is value in what we bring, that's really important as part of this process. So really internally focusing our gratitude first and foremost is where we should begin. Yeah, and it, it, it's weird because that is one of the biggest things that people struggle with. Um, it, with, with their gratitude is, is with, with their own abilities. I always tell people, um, you know, I, I, I saw a saying one time, I think it was like, uh, somebody said there was on Oprah's wall is like, you're responsible for the energy that you bring into the room. You know, she had a sign on there. And, and but for me, as like I tell people, look, you have to have hope, humor, and honor. If you have those three things with your life and, and you're, 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 you believe in that and you believe in yourself that much and you're grateful for the things that you have, uh, I can't tell you how many times I, I tell people, you need to have bigger problems. <laughs> you know, you're sitting here today and you're like venting about this. So you really need bigger problems in your life. If, if you're upset that your gardener cut your bush back too far today and it has ruined your day, you know, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, why are we even talking about this? <laughs> uh, but, but it, and it's funny. They're like, Dave, you're so mean. It's like, well, okay. Yeah, I am. <laughs> but it just comes down to when literally it's, it's like believing so much in yourself, but then believing in others and having that symbiotic relationship because we all can't survive on our own. You know, one, one thing that you've done with your life is you have literally dedicated your life to helping others. I, I mean, it, it is one of the biggest things, you, you know, you, you do so many different things. You, you've traveled the world, you, you've done all these different things. You've written many books, um, your books impact and help others. What, what made it like, what was the root cause for that? What was your trigger that set you off? It was like, look, this is, this is my life purpose. I think I found it. Now I'm going to live it. What, what was that? You know, it's, it's an interesting question. Because you're right. We all kind of come to this uh, on our own. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, Chester and I, for about 20 years, my co-author and I, we've been writing books. For about 10 of those first years, we worked for this big corporation. And, and we wrote books and we, because we wanted to tell the stories. We really were storytellers. We were doing some really cool things with on employee engagement. So we have a practice on culture. It's called the culture works. We have a practice on employee engagement. So we were helping these organizations. And as you say, it was very rewarding 
to be able to go into a big organization or even a midsize or smaller and really make an impact on their culture, on, on their employee engagement, people feeling better about where they were going. About 10 years ago, though, there was certain ennui set in with us. There was just something missing. And so Chester and I, we sat down and we just started writing down what really motivated us in our careers and our lives. Why were we so, why were we, you know, because we were paid well, we had lots of freedom, we had, we had some authority and all the things that the psychologist told us we should be happy at work, but we weren't. And as we started writing things out, we noticed sort of number one on both of our lists is we wanted to own the work we were doing. So we were doing this for a big company, but we had no sort of no ownership of this. It didn't feel like it was ours. Another one that was very important to both of us was sort of that idea of going really deep with clients. We were sort of these hired guns that went in, bounced around, but we weren't making a real difference, we didn't feel. We were, we were able to impact very quickly. We would go in once or twice, and then our team would come in, but we didn't really work very deeply with organizations. So that idea of really making an impact was very important to us, that we didn't feel we were able to impact. Um, other ideas, you know, family was important and other things. And, and we realized that our motivators really weren't aligned with the work we were doing. So about 10 years ago, we formed our own company and we went out on our own. And uh, it's been really liberating to be able to, to say, yeah, we want to go deeper now with this client. Or in these cases, no, this is really fun to just be able to, as you said, travel the world and go to Sweden or go to Hong Kong and just give a, give a speech and meet some new people. And it's given us a lot more freedom. And that's been a lot more mentally fulfilling for, for the both of us is understand really what motivates us. I, I think that's the biggest thing. As a coach, my, my, specialty, my specialty is always helping someone find their life purpose. And I, th I think you nailed it right there is there's, there's a, when, when you're under that corporate rule, um, the, uh, even when you have a lot of autonomy, even when you become the authority, even when you're very successful, um, literally there are times where you may want to spend more time with someone or do something a certain way or rewrite your job description a little bit in order to make it more for you. And that's frowned upon. So the idea of going out on your own, I encourage that with people and I help people. I always tell people I can help you monetize any idea or any passion that you have, I can help you monetize it. And they're like, no, that's not true. Cause I, I like, you know, crocheting bunnies. It's like, there's a niche for that somewhere. We'll find it, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, it's this healing mentality of, I want to go out and I want to heal the world. I want to make a difference and I want to impact, you know? So, so when you're, when you're a healer and when you're impacting others, if you're constrained by a set of rules, you're not happy. And all of a sudden two years go by, five years go by, 10 years go by. And then you get more wisdom and more life experience and you realize, Hey, I look just like you said, I want to go out on my own. Uh, I, I'm really, um, I applaud that bravery because when you're, when you're making a, a good set of money and you have some authority and you are doing well, the idea of going out on your own is scary. You know, I did it. I did it two years ago. I gave up a good paying job and I was like, okay, nope, I, I'm doing this full time. I talked to my family and they're like, you know, do it, do what makes you happy. So having that support system to be able to do that. Um, and it's struggle. I mean, my first year, uh, I was like, oh my God, what did I do? <laughs> you know, but this second year, and even with going on with, with 2020, with everything with going on with COVID right now, um, it, it's been a, a good year of self-learning, self-development, self-love, self-respect of what I do and encouraging people that with gratitude, you can do that. 
the um, do you have advice for people that do what you did that, that are like, okay, I'm going to leave my, my high paying job. I'm going to do this on my own because I have a different set of values. Yeah, no. And, and I think just what you just mentioned there about a different set of values that becomes really um, some, you know, because I usually tell people, look, there's three things right now. If you're miserable in your job, a you change it, you know, mm -hmm. you do all you can to change the environment. B is you go along to get along because right now I just did a new baby or, or I'm there's reasons sometimes we just have to, and we understand that. And C is you get out of Dodge. Those are really your choices. It's really quite simple. So which one are you going to do and be happy with what you do? Um, actually the, the conversation that led us, um, led us to, you know, sort of realize we weren't aligned and realizing that there wasn't a lot out there to help people find their life's purpose. We actually developed, um, I don't know if you know the book Emotional Intelligence 2.0. Uh -huh. Yeah, with Travis Bradbury and Gene Greaves. Well, we went to Travis and, and Gene, they're, they're friends of ours, and they helped us develop what we call a motivator's assessment. Um, we actually, I was just looking for this, we wrote a book called What Motivates Me? <laughs> there's, the, there's an online motivation assessment. We, it took years to build this. We've now had about 100,000 people take the assessment. So we've got this really interesting database. And it spits out for you from 1 to 23 what you're motivated by. And the chances of you and I having the same top five of those 23 in common, Dave, is more than a million to one. So wow. what we find is we're very different. And unfortunately, corporations, we tend to treat people all the same because we mm -hmm. think that's fair. Uh, and that's why sometimes when you say values don't align, and this is what we try to teach corporations when we go in, is that everybody is unique. And the old way of managing engagement or managing motivation by treating with a big broad brush, everybody's the same, just doesn't work. Motivation and engagement is a very individual process. But when you take that time, what we find is that corporations are actually able to do this quite well. We're working with a big insurance company. They had, I think, near a thousand of their leaders uh, go through this idea of motivation. They took the assessments, they went through training, um, and the CEO wanted to meet with us. And the, he kind of began it with, I had three of my uh, sort of senior execs uh, leave because of this process. And we were a little, Ooh. and he says, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't be happier. He said, because if they're not happy in their roles, he says, they shouldn't be here. People will smell it on them. He says, so one of them wanted to go back to college. Another one wanted to become this, that, or the other. Another one, again, wanted to open a fruit stand at the end of her driveway, whatever. He says, that's fine. That's their life's journey, their life's purpose. And he says, you know, Godspeed to them. He says, me personally, he says, I want people who want to be here and we can nudge their jobs a little bit. And he says, so that was what the process went through where we, where we worked to, to really sculpt people's jobs, to do a little less of what was frustrating them and a little bit more of what, was, what really they enjoyed to do. So really in many cases, you know, people can save themselves within their careers, but if it doesn't align, then you're exactly right. It's make that leap but do it, do it carefully, you know, make sure you have something that as you help people, you know, you have something that's really going to help them uh, actually have something that is going to create a career for them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. It, it's crazy. Uh, so I came across the motivators assessment last week when I was looking at your website and it's definitely something that I want to take. Um, and it, it just, it's amazing. What, what, when I read it in the description, it's like, wow, I need to do this and attach it to my resume for everything that I do, <laughs> you know, because that just seems like the, this is a, a very good outline for me of letting my, letting my bosses know, Hey, if, I, if you want to hire me, this is what motivates me. 
And one thing we found that was missing out there was, you know, there's strengths assessments, which are really great. I mean, they tell you what you're good at. And they're actually really good for like a college student, somebody who's got, figuring out what to do with their careers. Um, you have personality assessments, and we've all taken those, Myers-Briggs yeah. and, and DISC and all, Hogan, all these great assessments will tell you, I think in many cases, really how you will respond in certain situations, what your personality will fit. One thing we found as we were working with clients like you with executive coaching is that there's no, there was nothing out there to help you understand what you love to do. Now, as you work with clients who are especially going to make a leap, you know that it's sort of a blend of those that will help. Because if I'm good at something, but I'm not motivated by something, chances are I'm going to burn out. And that's what we see with college students. You know, mom and dad say, go be an engineer because you're good at math. They go, okay. So off they go. <laughs> uh, they get through the courses. They're a year or two in. They go, I hate this. This is miserable. Yeah, but you're good at it. Uh, yeah, but I hate it. Right? And we see that all the time. Or, you know, like I used to love to, used to, love to play hockey. Uh, well, I'm not good enough to play in the National Hockey League. So it was a motivation, but it wasn't a strength. So there has to be both, right? I have to be good enough at it to be able to make a living at it, but I also have to love what I do. Yes. When the two merge, then you start getting people in the right places on the bus and, and great things can happen for an organization then. Yeah, so, several years ago, I was part of a team uh, for sales and, and I was very good at, I've always been very good at sales because I, I do relationship selling. Um, and, and successful and, and doing all this. And I remember walking down the hallway to the bathroom one day, I'm like, God, is this my life? You know, I, 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 I don't like it. I used to love for five o'clock to hit because then I would leave right at five. I was a definite clock watcher. And then I would go and start doing my side hustle with my, my life coaching, my, my, you know, everything that I do to help people. And I would work until 11 and it never felt like work. It, it was like, this is what I'm doing. I would have clients all in the evening. So when I transitioned, when I, when I was brave enough to say, you know what, this, this is, this is not for me and I'm going to do this. It was hard and scary and, and all these different things, but having a good support system really helped me do that. What, one thing with you is you and Chester did this together. Um, so that had to, that had to be great. What's it like having, being, doing this together and having a partner, having someone to lean on? Cause a lot of the people, a lot of healers that I work with, they're, they're alone. They, they don't have that. And I encourage them, you need to find a partner. You need to find someone with shared values. What was that like, that initial conversation with Chester? And then what were, what were the, like, the nuances and the problems you had in the beginning? You know, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever been asked that because it's, it's, it is, you're right. There is a lot of nuance to this because I've seen, we, you know, we've all seen so many partnerships fail. You look mm -hmm. at you know, musician partnerships, <laughs> you know, movie buddies, whatever it is, you know. But in many cases, you see there's just, you know, some egos come up or some hurt feelings, et cetera. You know, Chester and I had worked together for, for about a decade before this. And there were times where he felt like, hey, it's time for us to go on our own. And I didn't feel it was right. Uh, and, and vice versa. There were times where I said, okay, enough of the world, let's go. Right. We both had to be in the right place at the right time. So that was, that was very important. We had to be aligned on that. Um, but as then as you begin, you know, there, there are some real positives to, to a partnership. But somebody, um, Jim Cousins, who wrote the Leadership Challenge, told me many years ago as we started this, he says, he says, somebody once told me, he said that partnerships have to be 50-50 or they won't work. And he says, there's this tendency to go, yeah, but I'm doing more on this, but I'm doing more on this. And you start nickel and diming. And he says, that's, that's not right. If you're going to have a partner, then just have a partner and be in. 
uh, argue and scream and yell at you as you begin, get the partnership right. Make sure it's locked down and, and buttoned down and you know have your lawyers sign it or whatever. Because you yell and scream before, so you never do afterwards. But you yep. kind of know, no, I know that I'm doing more on the training development. He's He goes out and speaks more. I do more on the writing of the books. And because there is always this, you know, tip for tap, there's this, we feel like it's a balanced partnership, but you got to get that right at the beginning. And because we did that, we've always felt like really good partners. Um, and really over, you know, the last decade being independent alone, you know, we've not had a single sort of disagreement. You know, we argue about, you know, work things as we should and debate right. it. Uh-huh. But there's never been a time where we've, uh, you know, packed our bags and been ready to walk out the door. We've had a great partnership because we each, by the way, we each bring something different that the other doesn't. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's the thing. I have, I have a business partner um, that I work with and her and I are very different in a lot of ways. But the biggest thing with us is there's never any jealousy and there's never any uh, lack of respect, you know, and she'll, she'll say things that, that I'm like, I can't believe you just said that, you know, <laughs> and, and I'll do the same to her. Um, and, and, but we talked about, but there's never anything that lingers. There's never anything, you know, like, we'll, we'll believe, Hey, stop red light. What the hell? You, you know, definitely do that. But talking it out and having, having fun and realizing that we both are want the same thing. And I remember there was a time recently where, um, I had gotten a client and she didn't realize it. And she started working with the client and she called me and she was so upset. She said, Dave, I, I, I have your client. And I didn't realize that he was the one you've been talking about that you were trying to get signed. And I signed him. Um, and I was like, that's so that's fine. That's great. You know? And she was like, but, but I feel so bad. I'm like, please don't because I'm happy that you're successful. So I think, I think just in a good marriage, just in a, in a good work partnership, it's all about communication, honor, respect, and not feeling any kind of jealousy or having that expectation that, you know, I am always right or, or stuff like that. So I commend that, that you've done this. And I'm hoping that the people who are listening today are able to, to realize, hey, um, you know, I, if, even if I don't have a partner, I need a good support system that treats me this way. Exactly, yeah. You know, fi- finding that support system that loves, respects you, that cares for you, that will let you vent, that will let you do things. Um, one thing you said that that I picked up on that I loved was do it all before everything is signed. Do all the yelling, do all the screaming, do all these things, get it all out there so that you can show your true identity. I've seen partners and people getting into relationships who are, they're this fake person throughout this process. And then when the paperwork signed and they start the business, then the real them comes out and everything just falls apart in six months. And I'm like, yeah, because you're this fake person. Uh, so, so it's very interesting. So I, I'm really happy that, that you and Chester found each other. And I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very, it, it, like I said, just seeing the work that you've done, you have infe- impacted so many lives and it, it's just such an honor to have you with me today. So thank you. Thanks, Dave. No, it means a lot. And I, you, you've said a lot of you know, profound things there. I think that I'm, I've, I've been scribbling some notes too, that, uh, you know, from, from your thoughts. And I think, yeah, just what you said about, uh, you know, make sure, you know, the, the person that you're partnering with needs to be different in many ways, bring different strengths. However, um, you know, as you know, they shouldn't be somebody you don't trust. Right. I mean, <laughs> you'd go without saying, but, you know, this is back on, you know, ancient man on the savannah. We sort of have this sort of tendency to look at somebody and we kind of know pretty quickly after about, you know, after about 20 or 30 minutes chatting, I know that you're somebody that I would trust. 
Um, but if the hackles are being raised uh, and you have any semblance of, I don't know that I completely trust this person, just don't do it, right? Um, don't get into a relationship, whether it's business or personal, with somebody where there's just those lingering doubts. And we've had, over the last decade, we've had so many people who've approached us, potential business partners, employees, this, that, and the other. And you know it when you know it. Yeah. And sometimes you'll be surprised, but mm-hmm. nine times out of 99 times out of 100, really, you know, your instinct's going to be right. Yeah, people always laugh at me when I interview because my interviews are quick. And they're like, how can you do an interview so quickly? And I would hire incredible teams. And I was always, that was one thing I was known for in the corporate world. And, and I said, it's just, you just know. I said, I had this gift. I said, but the one question I asked myself is, would I want this employee in my house at a Christmas party? Mm-hmm. You, you know, and, and I, always, I always think to myself, do I want them in my house? Do I want them coming to a Christmas party at my house this year? Uh, and if there's that level of distrust and then it comes to an interview, no, I don't want them. I won't hire them and things like that. And I go through all the different questions, but that's generally like a big tell. It's like you said, that trust, you know, if, if your hackles come up on the back of your neck for some reason, trust that. A lot of people ignore that intuition, um, you, you know, and, and so it's interesting. Yeah. And I but, think some uh, people just don't have it. Just really trusting inside and bless their hearts that they can live that way. <laughs> If you don't have it, maybe it's something you could, uh, you know, could hone. Yeah. I think if you don't have it, by the way, trust others around you. You know, that's mm-hmm. one thing is, like Chester, he's the most trusting human being on the planet. Everybody he meets is the best person ever. <laughs> he realizes he needs me because he has absolutely no sense of this kind of stuff. Right. And so he'll meet somebody and he say, you got to meet George. He's the best guy ever. And I'll chat with George and I'll either go, wow, yeah, this guy's amazing. Or I go... I just don't trust this guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, he doesn't know why, but he, right. he's learned enough to know, you know, to trust me. That's awesome. I, I love that. Um, do you have anything new on the horizon coming out? Uh, um, I do actually. And speaking of mental health, I'd love to come back and chat. Um, let's see, May 4th of next year, we're launching a book with Harper Collins called Anxiety at Work. And wow. This is something we were working on before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We put in tons of research because we were noticing rising anxiety and depression levels and employees coming in. In some cases, you know, people in their 20s, uh, 40% of people who are younger coming into the workplace with clinical levels of stress, anxiety, and depression coming in. And managers having absolutely no tools, having no idea, what do I do about this? And so we began working on this, then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and it became you know, doubly important, not only for younger people coming in, but for everyone mm-hmm. to really help with their mental health. So again, we've done a huge analysis of what are the tools that managers can use? What are the strategies they can do to help bring down anxiety levels and help people really feel more resilient in the workplace? I, I love that, that that's amazing. So congratulations, I'm, I look forward to reading that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> be on our list to uh, make sure you get an advanced copy. Oh, great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for today. You, it, this has been amazing. It's been an honor having you on my show and, uh, and thank you. Well, thanks Dave. And yeah, everybody, uh, <laughs> this is the book leading with gratitude and we're, we're honored that, uh, to be on your show and, uh, and that hopefully we can help a few people, especially as in this holiday season that, uh, you know, remember to what to be grateful for. So yeah, de- definitely. And I'll, I'll put a link in our show notes to everything and your contact info, um, as well as the book and also the motivators assessment. So great. So thank you. You have a great day, sir. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Take Dave. Take care. Bye-bye. Yeah.